This podcast is made possible by Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Welcome to Go Bronx Podcast, Episode 12. I'm Olga Luce. And I'm Angel. Today we will talk about the historic homes of the Bronx. Most of the borough's oldest residences are now museums or public facilities, yet still offer a glimpse of life in the Bronx during a specific time period. Some famous people lived in these historic homes. In fact, we sometimes record from one of those locations here in the Bronx, the Van Cortlandt House Mansion, a house that played a pivotal role during the American Revolution when General George Washington was in the area. That is correct. The Van Cortlandt Mansion is also the city's first historic house museum. Construction was completed between 1748 and 1749 and is made of fieldstone and brick in a Georgian Manor architectural style. The Van Cortlandt family has deep roots in the New York City history dating back to the late 1630s, where in what was then New Amsterdam, Captain Olaf Stevens Van Cortlandt served as burgomaster and alderman. A burgomaster is the equivalent to what we refer to today as a mayor. His son Jacobus, who was a merchant and also became a mayor of what became then New York, purchased a parcel of land in what is now the Northwest Bronx in 1695. Today we know the area as Van Cortlandt Park. Jacobus's son, Frederick, along with his workforce of African slaves, built the Van Cortlandt House. Along with the land, Frederick inherited a wheat-growing and processing business. The property had a saw and grist mill where the product was delivered from the estate and down to markets by draft boats. General George Washington stayed at the Van Cortlandt House at least twice during the Revolutionary War. He actually stood there the night before Evacuation Day, where the British finally gave up New York City in November of 1783. The Van Cortlandt family descendants occupied the house until they sold the entire estate to the city of New York in 1888. In 1896, the National Society of Colonial Dames in the state of New York restored the house as a museum and operates it to this day. Today, you can feast your eyes on some of the original furnishings owned by the Van Cortlands, including a handmade detailed wooden dollhouse that sits in the attic, as well as the two wooden Federal-style eagles that still flank the inside of the house's original entrance. The house is a prime example of colonial gentry in the Bronx. A quick walk across the parade grounds on the north, and you would find Vault Hill, where some of the Van Cortland family were once interred. The second oldest house in the Bronx can be found in the Norwood section. It is the Valentine Varian House. I affectionately call it the House of the Two Isaacs. <laughs> That's cute. The historic landmark Valentine Varian House was built just 10 years after the Van Cortland House in 1758. However, it is much smaller and quite quaint. The house was also made of fieldstone in a Georgian architectural style. It was a farmhouse built by farmer and blacksmith Isaac Valentine along with his African slaves. It was built in what was then Lower Westchester County along the Boston Post Road, our nation's very first highway. Because of its sturdy construction, it was no wonder why Continental and Hessian troops used it as a temporary fortress during the American Revolutionary War. When Hessian troops, German mercenaries paid by the British to fight on their behalf, occupied the house in 1781, the Comte de Rochambeau, a later occupant of the house, would refer to it as a ratchet house. 
General George Washington himself wanted the house destroyed because of its constant occupancy of the enemy. Fortunately for us, that never happened. In 1792, Isaac Varian, whose family would live in the home for the next 112 years, bought the house from Isaac Valentine, along with the land. The Varian family, just like the Van Cortlands, later produced another mayor of New York and another Isaac, Isaac Leggett Varian. He served as mayor from 1835 to 1842. In 1905, when the overdevelopment of the Bronx landscape began to intrude on the remaining farmlands of the borough, the house went into new hands once again. After 60 years in the Beller family possession, local resident William C. Beller donates the house to the Bronx County Historical Society in 1965 and has it moved from its original site at the corner of Van Cortlandt Avenue East and Bainbridge Avenue to its present location in front of the Williamsbridge Oval Park. Two years later, in 1967, it officially opened as the Museum of Bronx History. Today, visitors can step inside and back in time to the American Revolution with actual cannonballs, grape shot, and other items on display to marvel at. The museum curates exhibitions that speaks of the rich history of our borough. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll learn about another quaint little cottage we talked about briefly in Episode 4. The world has changed a lot in the last year, and more than ever, you need health insurance you can rely on. Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield is the whole health company, and that means they are dedicated to improving the health and well-being of everyone in the Bronx and throughout the New York service area. They've been supporting the health of Bronxites for 86 years, providing you access to high-quality, affordable care. To learn how you can make a whole health connection, go to empireblue.com. Sigourney Weaver here to tell you about the New York Botanical Garden, 250 acres, 1 million plants, and you. Now open in the Bronx. Plan your visit at nybg.org. City Bike is expanding to the Bronx. Membership is only $179 annually. New Yorkers who live in NYCHA or receive SNAP benefits can take advantage of the discounted City Bike membership for only $5 a month. Visit citybikenyc.com slash pricing to get started. Just south of the Valentine Varian House on the Grand Concourse, you will find a small cottage situated inside a park off of Kingsbridge Road. I am referring to the famed yet quaint Edgar Allan Poe Cottage. The cottage was built around 1812 when that area of the Bronx was still part of Westchester, specifically the village of Fordham. Poe arrived at the cottage with his mother-in-law, who was also his aunt, Mariah Clem, and his young bride, who was also his cousin, Virginia, in the spring of 1846. He had hoped the country air would be suffice to cure or at least alleviate his wife's tuberculosis. Poe kept to himself, busy writing, and trying to make ends meet while at the cottage. There he wrote some of his well-known works, such as The Bells, Eureka, Annabelle Lee, and one of his most acclaimed pieces, The Cask of Amontillado. However, Poe's life would soon take a turn for the worse when Virginia dies in January 1847 at the young age of 24. Poe himself would die mysteriously in the streets of Baltimore, Maryland in October 1849. 
The cottage at Fordham was the very last home he would occupy, and perhaps the only one in the city's countryside that brought him some level of peace. Mariah Clem, his mother-in-law, slash aunt, lived there for another two years before she moved out, thus leaving the cottage to go from one hand to the next for a little more than 60 years. In 1902, just across the street from the cottage's original location on the southeast side of Kingsbridge Road and East 192nd Street, the city of New York created Poe Park. Since the cottage was seen as endangered due to the rapid overdevelopment happening around it, along with the widening of Kingsbridge Road in the 1890s, Poe Park was created in anticipation of the cottage being moved there. After the cottage was first moved away from the newly widened road in the 1890s, the city finally relocated it again in 1913 to the other side of Kingsbridge Road into the north end of Poe Park, where it lives today. It has been open ever since as a historic house museum interpreting Poe's life and times and also operated by the Bronx County Historical Society. Did you know that the actual bed in which Virginia died in is still on display there? There is also a rocking chair and a gilded edge mirror on display that supposedly belonged to the family as well. Yeah, that is way cool. When we come back, we'll visit a few more historic homes in the Bronx. Get it, baby, get it! And now for a little segment we like to call Yo Angel. Yo Olga. The Bronx has a Hall of Fame for Great Americans. Can we know more about that? Surely, but you would have to travel to Bronx Community College to take a look. The Hall of Fame for Great Americans was opened in 1900 when the campus was New York University. This is why University Avenue still runs in front of Bronx Community College today. Apparently, this is the first Hall of Fame of any kind in the country. The landmark, which is an outdoor colonnade overlooking the Harlem River that features the bust of 96 notable Americans, was designed by Stanford White, whose designs brought to life some of our nation's beloved structures. He also designed other structures on campus, such as the Gould Library, the Hall of Languages, and the Hall of Philosophy. The busts honor outstanding men and women in the fields of science, government, the arts, and the humanities. There's also a collection of inventors, composers, and educators as well. Famous sculptors, such as Daniel Chester French, Frederick McMonies, Edmund Thomas Quinn, and Brenda Putman have carved out the likes of Edgar Allan Poe, John Lothrop Motley, John Quincy Adams, and Susan B. Anthony, just to name a few. The Hall of Fame for Great Americans is open to the public today. In 1939, the iconic film, The Wizard of Oz, the munchkins, happy that Dorothy rid them of the Wicked Witch of the East by landing her house on her, sang in praise. We will glorify your name. You will be a bus, be a bus, be a bus. In the Hall of Fame. It was presumed that they were referring to the Hall of Fame for Great Americans in the Bronx, as it was the only Hall of Fame that existed in the country during that filming. It didn't hurt that the lyricist for the movie, Yip Harburg, was a Bronx resident. And now you know. <laughs> From now on, you'll be history. You'll be history. You'll be history. And we will glorify your name. You'll be a bus. Be a bus. Be a bus. In the hall.
The fourth and last official historic house museum in the Bronx is located in what we will call the Boondocks. It is the Bartopel Mansion, located in Pelham Bay Park. The house sits on an ancient estate that dates back to the Pell family purchase of 1654. Thomas Pell, son of an English schoolmaster who had noble affiliations and was a self-educated surgeon, bought the land from the Siwanoi Native Americans, a time when the Dutch still held power in New Amsterdam, but held less of it in the regions between them and the thriving English colonies to the north. It was with this sale from the Siwanoi that more English settlers from the Connecticut colony felt emboldened to move southwest to establish a town they will aptly call Westchester. However, the Dutch were not happy about this. They referred to that settlement as Eastorp, which meant East Town, since it sat east of New Amsterdam, and felt this was a major encroachment in their territory. Well, we all know what happened next. Within a decade of Pell's purchase of the estate, which became the manor of Pelham, the English had conquered New Amsterdam, renaming it New York, and thus the place we now call the Bronx gets swept up in British colonial rule for over 100 years. Thomas Pell's house no longer exists, but the structure that roughly sits near where his house once stood dates back to 1842. Robert Bartol, a publisher and Pell descendant, purchased the estate in 1836 and later built the elegant greystone mansion whose Greek revival interior features a freestanding spiral staircase, a high-ceiling double parlor, and floor-to-ceiling windows on the second floor. In 1888, the family sold the estate to New York City, which would soon be converted to Pelham Bay Park, the city's largest. You can learn more about Pelham Bay Park in Episode 8. The house served briefly as a home for crippled children, also as New York City Mayor Fiorella LaGuardia's summer office in 1936, and finally as a public museum in 1947. In fact, there is a milestone on the south lawn of the Valentine Varian House grounds that reads in red paint, City Hall, with a red arrow pointing right. Well, the milestone was once located on the Boston Post Road near McKinley Square, where the red arrow actually pointed north towards the Bartopel Mansion. Indeed, you will also find a small burial plot nearby, once used by the families that lived on the land. So, when you are on the way to Orchard Beach or City Island, feel free to stop at Bartopel Mansion for a tour. Say, Angel, just because a structure is not an official museum does not mean it is not historic. We have other residences and buildings that have their own story, right? You are right. Other structures on the Grand Concourse, like the Andrew Friedman Home on East 165th Street, always sparks the interest of the ordinary passerby. The Andrew Friedman Home was built in 1924 and expanded by 1931. It was financed by Andrew Friedman, who was a wealthy businessman that helped finance the construction of the IRT, New York City's first subway line. He also owned the New York Giants, which at the time was a baseball team. And he was a director for the Wright Company, you know, the aviation company founded by the Wright brothers. Friedman lived through the stock market panic of 1907 and saw many of his wealthy friends and acquaintances go from riches to rags, just like that. When Friedman passed away in 1915, 
he left in his will an allocation of funds to construct a home for aged and indigent persons of both sexes. The stipulation was that the home was for poor residents who had once been financially well-off. They were to live their twilight years as they had lived their halcyon years with servants. Famous lawyer Samuel Untermeyer, who led the Board of Trustees, purchased the land and commissioned notable New York architects Joseph Friedlander, who would later be involved with designing the Bronx County Courthouse, and Harry Allen Jacobs. The marvelous Italian Renaissance Palazzo-style building today no longer serves the ex-rich, but rather a group of community organizations, and it's open to the public. A home for the ex-rich to live out their last days as if they were still rich. Hmm. There's another house. John F. Kennedy, our 35th president, spent some of his childhood years in the Riverdale section of the Bronx, and his old house still stands. The massive 20-bedroom Spanish fortress-style mansion is located on the corner of 5040 Independence Avenue and West 252nd Street. Kennedy attended Riverdale Country School and supposedly earned a D in French during one of his school years there. C'est dommage. The house is located just across the street from Wave Hill, which brings me to another historic house. What we now refer to as the Wave Hill House, today used for special events and food facilities for the Garden of Wave Hill, was once home to famous Italian conductor Arturo Toscanini, future president Theodore Roosevelt, and even Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. Mark Twain, spent some time at that home. Built in 1843 as an early suburban villa in what is today Riverdale for New York lawyer William Lewis Morris, this gray Fieldston Georgian federal-style mansion would later be occupied by famed William Henry Appleton in the 1860s. In 1903, George Walbridge Perkins added an underground building for recreation. It has an early 20th century bowling alley down there. Zoologist Bashford Dean leased the house in 1909 and later added a wing to showcase his vast collection of arms and armor. There are many more residences and public buildings throughout the Bronx that still serve as vestiges of our borough's rich and historic culture. Who knows? You may live near a house that contains a special story that might just surprise you. You never know. That is true. I've enjoyed visiting old homes with you, Angel, but we gotta go. That's our show for this week. Thank all of you for tuning in to our Go Bronx pod produced by the Bronx Tourism Council and made possible by Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Additional support is provided by NYC and Company. Mucho thanks to the Huntington Free Library and Reading Room for serving as our makeshift recording studio. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GoBXPod. If you like us, tell your friends. And if they already like us, Make some new friends and then tell them. For information about this episode and more, visit GoBronxPod.com. And while you're there, subscribe to our e-newsletter to get the latest and greatest news from and about the Bronx. As, As always, always, I'm Olga Luce. And I'm Angel. Bronxfully, Bronxfully yours. yours.